Hey, this is Cal. Support for Tilt Radio comes from Headline Sportswear. From uniforms to spirit shops, Headlines has all your sports apparel needs. Visit them online at makeheadlines.us to find out more. And remember, make headlines. Hey, Lax fam, it's Jamie and Cal again. For episode three, we have Southwest Ohio Middle School Director Glenn Garvin in studio. In the second half of the show, stay tuned where we're joined by one of the best to ever do it, the beast, Greg Grinlian. Check the tilt. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and follow our show if you like what we're doing. Tilt Radio is produced by Storm Sessions, creative audio solutions for creators like you. What is up, Lax fam? Welcome to episode three of Tilt Radio. I'm Jamie Foley. Sitting next to me is my producer and co-host, Cal Turnbull. Also, special guest in the studio today is the VP of Mason Lacrosse, uh, Boys Youth Director for Southern Ohio, Mr. Glenn Garvin. How are we doing, Glenn? Happy to be here, Jamie. Thanks for joining us, man. Really appreciate it. Glenn's in the studio today to touch base. We got the big middle school state tournament coming up. Uh, that's always a big deal in the state of Ohio. So, But first, we got some business to attend to. Uh, missed you last week. You know, we had some other stuff we had to take care of, but there's a lot of stuff that went on. We had some big games. Uh, Moeller went up to Hudson, took a loss up there in a great game. Springboro played Drome, uh, lost. Also, you know, those are two powerhouses here in the state of Ohio. Uh, Marymount Indian Hill had their annual rivalry game where Marymount came out on top by two. Uh, that was also a great physical game. Oh, Mason with the big win over St. X. That was a great win for them as well. Mason seems to be rolling. So we're going to touch base a little bit here on our rankings. Uh, we'll start out with Division Two and work our way back this time. Uh, number 10, we got Anderson. Anderson's, you know, they're getting better uh, as the year's gone on. Coach Thatcher uh, is doing a good job. Turpin, again, Coach Wentz got them rolling. Seven Hills, same thing. Blake Morris, their goalie, keeping them tough, as well as their big deep hole, Griffin Galloway. Uh, Talawanda. Lost last night to CHGA, but put up 10 goals. You know, their offense seems to be really clicking on all cylinders. Uh, Bellbrook, steady as can be, as well as Oakwood. Number four, we have Fenwick. You know, Fenwick's sitting with one loss right now with the draw coming up. Uh, it'd be interesting to see where they fall in. I think, you know, there's some competition stuff there. But, you know, look, you lose one game throughout the season, you're doing something. They've had a couple close ones here lately. Here's a little bit of a change. Number three in Division Two, I have Indian Hill. Uh, they've lost three games or two games here in the last couple of weeks to Waterson, lost to Marymount uh, last Friday night. And then CHA at number two, they're on a hot streak. They haven't lost for a while. They have a lot of seniors. Uh, Indian Hill and CHA actually play each other uh, Friday night. That would be a great game over at CHA if you're not doing anything. And then number one, of course, is Marymount. Marymount beat Indian Hill. Uh, in a great game, 12 to 10. Uh, I was back and forth for a while. Marymount pulled out in the third quarter, and then Indian Hill came back and made a little bit of a ball game there at the end. So, uh, Marymount also almost beat Moeller last night. Moeller scored, I think, in just under 20 seconds to win that game. So, moving over to D1, we're still going to stay with Moeller at number one. Although the loss to Hudson, loss to St. Ignatius. Them and Springboro were supposed to play and got rained out. They're not rescheduling that, so we'll keep them at one. Springboro at two, same thing. Had a loss to Drome. Uh, I still think it's them and Moeller there at the top. St. X is at three, although they had a loss to Mason. Uh, Versansky did not play in that game. Uh, despite St. X's record, their schedule is just absolutely brutal. They lost to Culver last night. Uh, Mason. Mason had the big win over X, and Mason is... Glenn can speak to this. Mason's on a little bit of a roll right now. They're playing really well. Seem to be clicking. The young guys seem to be getting better. Is that pretty fair to say there? Yeah, I think they're uh, gelled together now. Um, you know, you get a lot of sophomores playing on that team who hadn't had a varsity experience before. So just getting them into into the mix, I think, has helped uh, helped the team gel together a little bit better here. Right. With their senior leadership, Mason can be dangerous here come tournament time. I really feel that way. So... After Mason, we got Milford. Milford is absolutely on fire right now. They won the ECC last night outright. You know, they have shooters everywhere, good goalie, good defense. Milford's another one of those. If you if you come in at tournament time 
and those regional semifinals, second round, and you run into Milford, I think they're a team that can catch you. Uh, after that, we got Centerville. Uh, won the paddle in the paddle trophy game against West last week. Uh, nice win for them. Uh, West drops down a little bit. They had a loss to East, had a loss to Centerville. But again, they're one of those teams if, like we said at the beginning, they put it together, they they can beat some teams. Uh, Loveland. Loveland has also been on a little bit of fire here. Uh, they're only lost coming to Milford here lately, but they're playing really well behind that good defense. Uh, East. East won for the first time in Lakota lacrosse history the trophy from Lakota West last week. Um, they scored a goal with, I think, four seconds left to win it. Congrats to those guys. They come in number nine. And then Sycamore uh, rounds out our top ten. They've dropped, I think, uh, three spots. They had a tough overtime loss to uh, Elder. Um, I think there may be some injuries there. So hopefully they can get healthy and get back in there. So that's uh, that's our rankings. Moving forward, we only have like a couple more weeks left in this. We have the seeding. How do you think this is going to shake out as far as seeding uh, for the tournament here? Well, I think I got to go against your uh, your pick with your number one pick there. I think Springboro is going to okay. be the uh, the number one the number one seed there for. To, Why do you say to that first? Um, I, I just hard to beat their beat their resume. They've got um, just I mean their losses are all to you know Western Reserve, uh, you know San. Uh, St. X Louisville and Dublin Jerome. So, you know, tough losses, but they beat, um, you know, beat the same teams that Moeller's beaten. But, um, you know, they probably coach McGinnis will vote for them too, just because he wants to, you know, give them the number one next to him. So. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That'd be interesting with Moeller and Springboro. I, I mean, I think it'd be just as interesting with St. X and Mason, right? Yeah, I mean, it, sure. I mean, Mason beat him without Versansky, but. St. X has got a huge win over Louisville St. X, yep. who a lot of people thought Louisville St. X was one of the best teams in the country around here. Um, but then the next day they go up to St. Ed's and take a loss. It seems to be like everyone has a little bit of that uh, that bus blues. You know, they go on a little trip, get off the bus, and teams seem to be losing after traveling this year, which is, I think a lot of that goes to the fact that a lot of these guys haven't experienced that, right? Yeah, there's a lot of lot of experience missing from uh, you know the the lost year here. Um, St. Ed's was an emotional game too for them, you know. So that's, um, but yeah, I, th- I think I read somewhere, you know, I'd rather you know stand in front of a howitzer than play St. X in the playoffs too, you know, because that's going to be a battle tested and ready team when that when it comes down to it. So yeah, I mean those those aren't uh, none of those are easy games, and really as you're reading through the the teams that are you know five, six, seven, eight, all in there are all capable of of an upset if you if you especially if you look past them. Yeah, Milford, Milford to me and Mason are the scary ones, right? For those, you know, those top three guys, because um, they're both good enough to beat anyone. You know, we saw the Moeller Marymont game last night. You know, if you don't come ready to play, like you're going to get a game on some of these teams, and and come tournament time, especially a team like Milford, it's got some seniors that are really good. Um, they can catch you. So, yeah, we'll see how that that that. That draw in Division One would be really interesting. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how they seed it and allow you to pick your spot. It'll be interesting to see if anyone goes out of kind of kind of turn to to get a good matchup. You even looked at something like Elder knocking off Sycamore. If you had told me that was going to happen a couple of weeks ago, you know, I'd, I I would have bet you on that. No, right. I mean, that's a huge win for that Elder team for sure. I mean, their coaches uh, coach their butt off every time they play. So, um, but Division Two is is also like interesting, you know. Th- Without a doubt, Marymont's going to get the one seed. I'm going to vote Agreed. for them. They beat us. Um, but then you have CHGA, Indian Hill, and Fenwick. Fenwick's like 13-1. and one. Their only loss is to Marymont. Um, CHGA has been rolling. Uh, they lost to DeSales, I think, by one. Lost to Moeller, which was actually a close game for a little while. They're rolling. And then you have Indian Hill, too. So it's... It'll be interesting if you're asking me how it's going to work out. Um, I really don't know. I, I think everyone's going to go on the other side of the bracket of Marymont. Well, remind me not to play golf with you. You're like one of these <laughs> coaches, you know, like Lou Holtz here. who says, you know, we're not that good. We're just going to kind of lay in the weeds here. And, you know, just, you know, so I, I think Indian Hills a clear number two there on the opposite from Marymont. But you're right. CHDA and Fenwick are both, um, you know, they're not going to be easy outs. No, for sure. So, Glenn, tell us a little bit about what's up with you as far as middle school. We got the state tournament coming up this weekend, which is always a great time. 
it's always a big deal. The middle school talk buzz around around the city. So, tell us a little bit about what your position is there and kind of the process on what you guys do as far as seating teams and what division, what bracket, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, shout out to James Rice who had done this for for so many years for the um, for the Southern Ohio group. So this year was the first time I was involved in the seeding um, for for the state tournament. So you know this year that's it's scaled back a little bit because of COVID. So they've got sixty four teams, um, and basically we're getting together with um, the teams that opted into this. Um, so you've got you know teams from all over the state, and then you know everyone puts in their scores, we rank them, and then kind of sort them out on where we're going to bracket everybody. So it ends up being four divisions, each of um, 16 teams. So, you know, when you start with the top teams, they're, you know, 16 in the middle top group and then 16 each way reach down. So there's four separate tournaments. So do you, when you do your seating, do you say, okay, here's the top team to the bottom team in the South West district. Is that how that works? Yeah. So that's where we start is we kind of look through and say, here's how we, how these teams um, all rank out. We had about 20 teams who made the tournament from Southern Ohio. And so we ranked them one through 20 and then kind of slotted them in. Luckily we had a couple teams, you know, the junior crusaders played uh, Jones middle school, which is an upper Arlington school. um, And Mason played Liberty. So that kind of gave us um, some ways to, to shake out how we, you know, where we fit. Right. So who got the top seed here for Southwest Ohio? So number one seed for Southwest Ohio was Sycamore. Um, and based on where they started the season, um, they kind of swept through all of the teams, um, you know, in, in the area. Now they lost a couple late, late in the, late in the season with some rematch games to Indian Hill and the Blue Jays. But the way we set things up is your first game counts in seating. So as far as the seedings are concerned, they're undefeated and, you know, probably everyone knows Khalif there as a, oh, as yeah. a player and he's, you know, he's, he's well known throughout the state, but you know, you'd make a mistake just looking at him too. They've got, they've got, um, you know, probably some guys you're familiar with, like Beckett O'Shea is, I'm assuming that's Colin's brother and yep. the, and the Lynn kid. Yeah. Um, he's a seventh grader yep. too. So he's oh, yeah. got, you know, he's, um, you know, they've got some good lineage there from, from some good Sycamore players in the past. So the second seed at Southern Ohio is going to be Mason, which is a number three, uh, number three in the, in the bracketing. Um, so they're, um, they're going to play Hilliard Weaver, um, you know, so I've been pretty close with that program just with, um, you know, we've, we've got away from dad coaches. We've got a couple of, uh, ex Mason players who are coaching the team and, um, they would last year would have been their first year coaching. So they got that kind of, uh, stymied, but, um, they've got, uh, they've got a good deep team of, of kids who have been playing together for a long time. So you're talking about Lou Holtz, T- tell how those guys can play, <laughs> man. They, they, I've uh, seen these kids yeah. play. They can really play yeah. and when they play well together. It is almost like watching a JV high school team because these guys have been playing a long time together. They move the ball. They know where each other are going to be. They kind of feel each other out well. Um, defense has really improved there. So right. you've got... Um, and Mason does it a little different too. They only... I mean, they have almost all eighth graders on their yeah, team, right? Just a couple just seventh a couple, graders, Yeah, right? the Lipinskis, but a couple of seventh graders who, who make that. So it's open tryout each year. And they're, and so, you know, so sometimes we get a bunch of seventh graders make it. Typically three or four of them are going to make that make that team. Yeah. Right, yeah. And that's that's different than your Lakotas or Sycamores where it's always a mix. Yeah. Like sometimes 50-50. Sometimes you get more seventh graders than eighth graders, yeah. right? So uh, who, was the, who was the next seed? Let's go through the top five here um, in the Southwest. So next you've got um, Junior Crusaders were three, um, you know Indian Hill four, Lakota West five. So those are the those are the five teams that made the um, the top sixteen in the state. That's good too because all those teams kind of beat up on each other, right? That, for sure. Like I yep. mean, it's yeah. That's I know that Indian Hill team. They're really good. They got a ton of talent. Um, same with Junior Crusaders. I mean, watching them play at your typical Crusaders team, super well coached play really well together. Um, a lot of individual talent. They got some big dudes that can really play on that team. And then I think the surprise there is West. I think some people were, they weren't sure what to think of West junior high this year, new coaching staff. Um, they have a lot of seventh graders that really contribute kids like Ty Teschner and Cooper Anzalone. Um, they're really well coached. They've done a really good job this year. Um, and as far as playing together, they they're one of the best I've seen this year is playing cohesive as a team for sure. For sure. And a first year goalie in there too, I think they've yeah. got. So that that's been impressive. Um, yeah, they their big win, they knocked off Mason. 
Um, it was a, a low scoring game and a, you know, lightning storm and whatnot and whatnot. But, um, but I think that's a big win obviously. And, and it kind of shows you, you know, Indian Hill beat Sycamore later in the year. Um, you know, the junior crusaders played a lot of those games tight. So those teams have all been, you know, knocking each other off. It made, it made uh seating, you know, was, uh, was a little more difficult looking at than it normally is. I think looking at those middle school teams. So kind of going through it here. Another one that's interesting to me is Lakota East. Lakota East seemed to be struggling early in the year. And then all of a sudden, they had a big win there at the end of the year. Well, I mean, uh, how many Edkins kids are there? Every time I turn around, there's another Edkins kid at, at East. I don't know. Like, I turn around, I'm yeah, like, I, I think, think they're the still last, making kids. Yeah, the, <laughs> they're like the Foley's. They, they keep going. <laughs> That's, so, I don't know if they caught up to you yet. But, <laughs> but yeah, Owen's the eighth grader. I think Owen's the last one. So No, East beat uh, Indian Hill. Yeah, that's what yeah, that's it was. Right. Yep, yeah, yeah, East beat Indian Hill, which was a good game. Um I mean, East East has some guys that can really, really play. And yep. again, they put it together. I mean, that Division Two, they're in Division Two in the state tournament. It looks like, and it looks like they got you know a pretty good draw, as well. I mean, they can do some damage there. I feel like in Division Two for sure. The Blue Jays are there too, so they're. I think they're. They were the top. They were the top seed for um, Division Two, and they were really on the cusp of making Division One. Um, so they've got they've got some good. You know, they've got some, when you talk about names that are known well around here, you see a Luke Sprong playing for them and, um, you know, you see, but, um, I think everyone knows the Trent Yelton's a goalie there. Who's, yep. who's, who's Yelton's really good. The state too. Um, Stagbauer, Spencer Stagbauer yep. is yep. a, he is a, we talked about Khalif. Spencer is also a grown man, dude. That kid can really play. He can really play. Um, talk a little bit about that. Like, so you said they were right on the border. How does that break out to where? How does that decide it in the end if a team's right on the border? You know, I think we look at common opponents. Um, you know, the the Cleveland area lobby don't only have three teams in. They had they had we brought five in. Um, usually, the, cent- the central region is going to carry more more traditional maybe players. They've got some good middle school programs that they've built up over time there, and and um, so. You know, we could have argued the the Blue Jays into that, but I think at that point they had um I forget what the last team in was, um, but I think it wound up to to be a spot where um where we thought the Blue Jays were just I think they they actually ended up with a losing record right around five hundred, but based on the high level competition they played, so you know the the other teams you're looking at had much higher records, so I think that became the determining factor of them dropping down to, to Division Two. Right. Looking at kind of the bottom part of the bracket here, who would you kind of expect to see maybe do some damage here towards the bottom? So there's only four divisions this four year. Four divisions, yep. yep. Um, usually there's what, like eight or seven normally? Yeah, there's a, yeah, she usually have 90-something teams involved in this and and some small and some uh, smaller sectional brackets. But right. um, it's a little more organized that way this year with with the six teams in, e- in each bracket. Um Kind of looking through that, so we covered Division Two. I would have normally liked um, CHCA. I think in the in they're in the third the third group down, um, but their face off to every guy everything DJs. He's out with a foot injury, so that kind of that kind of takes them. I think um, takes a little wind out of their sails to of what they might have been able to do there. Um, so Bellbrook with the number one seed in Division Three, huh? Yeah, yep. Yeah. So they again you kind of land on that cusp of. Being and that's where I see a lot of the sandbagging going on uh, for, for where uh, where people want to wind up on. You know, they'd rather be in the the lower division than the higher one. But um, you know that that came in. Creek Lax was the last team in in the in the second group, and and Bellbrook then fell into the to the third. Okay. So what are your th- so how do you think these? Let's just go to Division One. So how do you think? Let's start with Mason. You know a lot about Mason. How do you think Mason's going to kind of shake out here uh, in their bracket? You know we see. They're not going to see a, a team from around here at all. You know, they beat Weaver. They're going to face Hudson or Worthington in the second round. And then maybe eventually have that rematch with Lakota West or Junior Crusaders. How do you feel like uh, Mason's going to kind of shake out here? Well, you know, looking at it on paper, you know, I, I don't know much about the the, Weaver, the Hilliard-Weaver team. Um, but based on the competition level we played, I think the Liberty game kind of gave us a good good feeling. Um, they won that game, I think, 7-3 or 8-4 eight, eight, or something like that. And so that's a that's a good solid win to kind of compare levels of where you're at. Um, so I'd expect them to win that first game, but you never know. You get to the state tournament, and and especially with, uh, you know, jitters and first games, there's there many years where Mason brought some pretty good teams up there and lost in the first round. 
around in, in those games. So, um, but the matchup with Hudson, you know, Hudson's seated one spot above them, um, in in the state overall um Hudson was the number one team out of out of the north I believe um so that's going to be that's going to be a tough game you know they they started Hudson lost three games early all by a goal but it was their very first games all in Columbus to top teams to Jones and and some of those top teams so I think um rumor is they're they're very strong and gotten really good so you know so that's going to be that's going to be a very very tough game but um they're capable I think looking at you know they've got you know um, Nate Torp, Marietta, Quinn Riley at an offense, and then um, some really good defenders that are out there too. I think they're they've got capability of, of playing with anyone. So I think they, they've got a shot. You know. So how about Sycamore here? Sycamore's got the one seed in that blue section of Division One. Looks like we could see possibly see a rematch with Indian Hill in the second round. You what do you expect? Do you expect more of? You know, Indian Hill got them pretty good the second time. Do you expect more of that? Do you expect, you know, I think Indian Hill is the sleeper as a five seed in that division one for sure. Yeah. I mean, you're you're obviously well, well versed on the Indian Hill team. They've got a lot of strong seventh graders on that team. Um, a lot a lot of just strong, strong, very good um players. I think um sorting it out of who's playing what position and getting that all together was really what was getting them in the right spot. Um you got the McColgan, is that right? am I saying the name right? So uh, yeah, Mc, yeah. McColgan. Yep. And so they've got they've got some um some pretty strong players there. I, I like Indian Hill. Um, you know, when we were doing the seedings, you know, as we're going through it, I said there's, you know, a big arrow up next to that team. Um and, and certainly I think are capable. Um, you know, if you if you told me Sycamore, Mason, Junior Crusaders, Indian Hill, any one of those I think could win states. I mean, right. if you ran this right. tournament a hundred times, you might have 10 different winners no, of right. the state tournament. Right, so. for sure, for sure. So what is, do you have any sort of responsibilities while the tournament's going on? Is your work kind of done? And- no, I'm, I'm, I'm getting near the end of that, Jamie. You know, <laughs> my, work's, uh, my work's getting done. We don't even have any home games left this year, so now I can kind of chill out a little bit. But uh, now I'm going to hopefully get to watch uh, their games on Saturday afternoon. I plan on getting up there to watch those. So. so you're going up to uh, Western Reserve for the IMLCAs. Yeah, that's right. Mason High School's play and right. MSLCA. I can never get yeah, those. MSA, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. I can never get those. Right. Whatever the letters are. Yeah. So yeah. how do you think? Uh, how do you think that's going to shape up this weekend? I mean, you got some powerhouses. What is? Who's in there? You got Mason, Springboro, Western Reserve. Yeah, so we got St. Ignatius, which, you know, we'll see where they're going to wind up right now. But um, as, as we're news breaking on that, um, St. X, uh, uh, Cathedral, um, Upper Arlington, Dublin Jerome, um, Hudson. So there's the big dogs are all in that. Um, as of right now, when we're recording this, I still don't know where we're less than 24 hours away from leaving there and <laughs> so still don't know what time playing. we're playing or who we're playing right. yet. So right. it's hard to shake that out. But, uh, I think Mason, the way I figured it is either the last team in in group two or the first team in, in group three, um, with Kilbore and they're kind of tied in that spot. So, um, so how do you think, how do you see that shaping out? I mean, you have Jerome there, Hudson in there who beat Jerome. Yeah. Um, did you say Culver is Culver in there? No. Culver's not. Culver's, Culver's not. not. Okay. So, so, I mean, you have, <laughs> You have a list of teams outside of Western Reserve that could be in the Final Four yeah, for yeah. State, yeah. Ohio State, right? Yeah. Um, and it's odd, too, because it seems to be the team that ends up winning that is also ends up winning State the last few years, you know, St. X a yeah. few years yeah. ago and stuff like that. So where do you kind of see that shaping out this weekend? You know, I, I'm. I think it's hard to beat Upper Arlington. I, I've still, I've got them as my number one. I mean, well, they're face-off guys. Well, beast. Seth is. He's just. He's. He was great, and now has gotten exceptional. And um, you know, so um, watching them, you know, they're they're a well-coached, just fundamentally sound, good team. They're right. they're 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 a tough out for anybody. Um, so, and I think just having possession and controlling the ball the way Seth can do that, and I think that's you know what they did against Western Reserve and what they've done against a, a bunch of teams. So, I think Upper Arlington. It's going to be tough to beat, but um, you know, uh, Jerome was not. You know, I think that's Jerome Upper Arlington's. Uh, that's a tough. It's a shame they don't play during the regular season. Right. right. So. I mean, Jerome's going to get another shot at Hudson too. I mean, Hudson caught him the first time, right? So, well, cool. Well, look, Glenn, I appreciate you coming in from me personally, and just being a guy in Southwest Ohio lacrosse. Just want to thank you for everything you've done. I know you're coming kind of the end of of your VP ship and your directorship. You're going to go down and. Spend some time in Florida next spring with your son Thomas at Rollins. And so, dude, I just want to tell you, I appreciate you. I appreciate everything you've done just for Southwest Ohio. And uh, more than anything, man, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it, Jamie. It's uh, fun doing it and uh, enjoy what you're putting together here. Hopefully, it's going to be a nice long run on this on this podcast. I, I, enjoy, I enjoy it for sure. Appreciate that. That's Glenn Garvin, folks. Hey, everyone, stay tuned for our next guest. 
One of the best to ever do it, Greg Grinlian. This episode of Tilt Radio is sponsored by The Smart Program. The Smart Program teaches individuals to leverage social media in their favor and present themselves in a way that enhances their personal brands. At The Smart Program, they believe that through education, everyone can become savvier about their online presence. Follow The Smart Program on Instagram and Facebook for more information. Now joining us on the podcast, a legend, one of the goats of lacrosse, the one and only, the beast, Greg Grinlian. How we doing, sir? Thanks a lot, brother. I'm doing well, man. How you guys doing? Good, good, good. So just uh, first thing, man, thanks for joining us. It's a real pleasure to be able to talk to you and touch base. And, you know, we're doing this to grow the game. And, you know, you're one of the big... Uh, you're one of the big guys, I think, in this country that that really put yourself out there to try and make our game great and and grow. So, um, so what have you been up to? What's been going on in your life these days? A lot, man. We we've uh, since I retired, putting all of my eggs in the training basket, um, trying to do a better job of covering the FOA all over the country. So, the pandemic last year, we kind of reset our whole business model. We made a whole bunch of new hires. Some really talented coaches. We're excited about. Um, trying to regionalize our training so that coaches can spend more time in their area getting to know their kids. And then uh, and then we have some big announcements coming up for some some big additives to what we uh, supply for our parents and our kids. So, yeah, I've been, been really busy with that stuff, just kind of getting all those pieces in a row because 2021 summer is going to be nuts uh, since everybody was stuck inside last year. So now we're going to be hitting the pavement hard. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. If you could dive in a little bit more with that, you know, just with the FOA Academy, how did that kind of get its start and, and where do you guys plan on taking it here in the, in the future? Like you said, 2021 summer, it's going to be wild. So. Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, back in the day when you looked at lacrosse face-offs, uh, if you looked on YouTube or anywhere, you, know, you guys experienced it, anybody who ever wanted to give any advice on face-offs, it was always cheating. Right. So every guy that I ever met when I started playing in high school that wanted to give me a face off tip, every single one of them was telling me, oh, did you try this move? And it's always like grab the ball off your hand or some other crap. So um, and, and kids, when we tell them today, can't believe it, which we're like, you have no idea. Um, so around, I guess, 2011, uh, 2010, I guess, Jerry and Raganese and I became really good friends and uh, he introduced me to Chris Mattis. And we all kind of had done other people's clinics, um, but lacrosse clinics and and camps, it was so unorganized. Uh, you know, guys were just throwing together like these kind of money grabs and then paying like college kids a couple hundred bucks. And it was kind of just a mess. And I told the guys, I was like, we should come up with a website or we should do something <clears throat> to more legitimize this position because one day we're not going to be playing anymore. And I don't want people to sit around and just be like, oh, okay, well, if you were good at face-offs, that much of me, you were just good at cheating. Like, no, there's a lot of technical aspects to this. So I would love to clean it up because we were on the verge of losing it. Like they were talking every year, cheating's gotten out of hand. We should get rid of the position, blah, blah, blah. So we decided to put together a little like eight stop summer tour uh, in, I forget what summer was, 2012. And um, so we planned on, you know, writing the system. So in 2011, I blew my knee out. I spent that entire summer taking what I knew about biomechanics as a strength coach and applying it to the face-off position. So I wrote the entire face-off academy system with my knee up that summer, and we applied it. And turns out, 2012, when I came back, I broke all my – I had the, a career season. And I was like, okay. So then we started training our kids, and any kids that we coached were killing everybody around them. So we decided to do this eight-stop summer tour. Our first event was in Delray Beach, and it was a massive success. People were calling us left and right, like, can you come back? So we were like, okay. Now, at that time – this was a part-time thing for me. We all had our own jobs. I was a full-time strength coach. This was supposed to be just like a little summer gig. And then it got to the point where we were coaching around the clock. So I sold my strength training company and I went full in with FOA. And then it became coaching, uh, weekly training, then draw days. Then we had a YouTube channel and, you know, there was, the proof was in the pudding. Every kid that we coached was going to college, like Trevor, Ben Williams, Jake Withers, these guys were going to college and killing everybody. So, um, you know, it, it was a lot of fun. So now you, you fast forward all the way to today. And I tell kids, if you look at before 2012, if you YouTube face-offs, there were either there's blatant cheating going on or everybody had a different stance. It was just like, there was no coaching or formal training. Now 
almost every kid looks the same. And there's a vernacular, there's a lexicon now of face-offs, you know, backdoor exits, offensive, through the leg, uh, clamps, plungers. Like, this is starting to become, like, normal vernacular that the general lacrosse fan knows now, which is great. So, you know, we're, we have to take a lot of pride in that. And um, now our goal, or our huge mission, is to uh, make it easier for families and parents and players to learn the position, get better at it, and then you know, from a recruiting standpoint, make it cleaner and easier for them to understand and then provide as much free information as we can so kids can get started at the position because people say all the time, you know, you have over 100 YouTube videos for free. Why are you guys giving all this information away? And we always say the same thing. It's not our information. Lacrosse is for everybody. And it's not, you know, we're not going to hold these secrets to our chest. We want kids to learn. And if we really believe in ourselves as coaches, they'll still want to come to our clinics and stuff. So. Um, that's where we're at right now. And, you know, we're continuing to expand certain things and make, make lives a little bit better for the kids out there. Right. I think what you, you just touched on is I think a big reason why I know it drew me to lacrosse. What you said is, you know, the information's for everybody. I think that's something that's special to lacrosse where, you know, everyone wants to share everything, you know, it's like a big family and everyone just wants to grow the game and everyone to get better. I think that's a great, that's a great thing to say, and I think it really, really holds true to what the game's all about for sure. Because I know, you know, my son is a seventh grader and literally wanted to start doing face-offs after watching. He saw me watching some of your videos, and he looked at it, and he was like, well, I think I want to do that. So, um, and actually, he's he's trained by a couple of your FOA guys now, Thomas Garvin, uh, Luke Dittis, guys that are here from, you know, in our area in Southwest Ohio that have gone through your training. So that's the thing, right? Pay it forward. That's right. the beauty of it. Absolutely. That's awesome. Hey, you touched a little bit on kind of your history. Can you kind of give us your history in lacrosse and how you, uh, came to find the game and, and decided, you know, face off was the way you wanted to go? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I played, I played almost every sport. Um, I competed in karate and wrestling, um, from the time I was like six years old and, the only sports I hadn't played were football or lacrosse or hockey. So even though I was playing, you know, I was, I was competing in these physical sports. I never really played a sport where you had a helmet on, you hit people. Um, I had uh, Osgood Slaughter's when I was younger. So my parents were nervous about me playing any contact sports. So I played everything else. And then <clears throat> Springfield High School in Delaware County, lacrosse was king. And, you know, basically if you were walking around school with like the lacrosse shorts like you were a cool kid <laughs> so when i got to high school my buddy george was like dude you got to play a sport like if you want to be a cool kid you got to play a sport it was really that simple so i uh i was like okay so i went out for it and i was awful you know i'm, I'm coming in as a freshman in springfield when you're six years old you start playing lacrosse that's what all the cool kids did. And I was way behind the eight ball obviously so my first year was brutal i got made fun of constantly um I wasn't used to it because I was a good athlete. So I was just used to being good at stuff. And I really gained an appreciation for, wow, you can't fake this sport. Like you can't just come in and be a freak athlete and just dominate people. You have to actually like be one with the stick. And until that happens, you can't do anything. Um, so it was super frustrating. And in fact, I was going to quit. <clears throat> and I've told a lot of people this story. One of the reasons I became a coach is because the last day of practice, my freshman year, I was going to tell the coaches, thanks for everything, but I don't think the sport's for me. And my parents knew that I was going to say this. I've never quit anything, but I just thought it was smart to do. And, um, one of the completely unprompted, one of the assistant coaches, Rick Johnson came up to me after practice. We just did sprints and he's like, listen, I know this has been a tough year for you. You work so hard. You're a sick athlete. I promise you, if you stick with this sport, you're going to light the world on fire. And I remember that quote. I remember exactly where I was standing. I remember him having his right arm around my shoulder. And I went into the car afterwards and I told my parents, say, actually, I'm going to stick with this, I think. Um, you know, because this man who doesn't know me that well just came over and told me he believed in me. And that's so powerful for a kid, right? So I was like, I became the kid who goes to parties, had the stick in his hand, hitting the wall every day because it was more like redemption. It was like, these kids made fun of me. I want to take their spot now. You know, <laughs> so it was um, – and uh, – you know, the rest is history. I never would have been, I never would be playing lacrosse right now if Rick Johnson hadn't done that. So <clears throat> I never miss an opportunity as a coach or as a father to, you know, say the right thing whenever I can. You know, if I see something or if I see somebody struggling, I try 
to always remember to say something to that kid, give them a little piece of information that hopefully will help them stick with it. You know? So how did, how did the position of face off find you? I honestly, uh, a legend, Chris Britton, um, was the JV coach. He was a best face off guy in, in Springfield history. Um, and he's actually now the varsity football coach. He's turned Springfield into a powerhouse, but he, uh, he taught me how to face off because I was like, Hey, look, like the balls are going to crowd. Um, you know, and, and I'm a wrestler, like maybe I can try that because I don't have to catch it. And he literally just sent me in. And the first time I went to face off, I was like four for four. And I was like, Oh, cool. And, uh, just kept doing it. Um, so that's basically how I started facing off. And as my other stick skills caught up to me, um, you know, I was just had a knack for getting the ball and then scooping it up. And, uh, that's where it started. That's awesome, man. I mean, so you, so you didn't start playing lacrosse till you were a freshman in high school. And then you went to Penn State. That that's just that dude, that's a great story. I did not know that you didn't start till high school. I mean, and now I just saw that you've been you're being inducted into the Pennsylvania U.S. Lacrosse Hall of Fame, man. That is awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's been a hell of a journey, man. And I'm just lucky because I've had nothing but great experiences at every level. I had great youth coaches that talked me into starting, you know, uh, and playing. And I had great high school coaches. Um, and then at Penn State, you know, I played under guys like Lars uh, Tiffany. Uh, Guy Van Arsdale, Glenn Thiel. Um, and then in the pros, you know, obviously it goes without saying, I mean, the names that are in there, including Joe Spl- you know, like everywhere I went, there was somebody who believed in me enough to say the right thing to me that unlocked my potential. And, you know, I just got lucky at every place I went all the way up until, you know, my final, my final couple of years playing the sport, I, I finally got to meet, you know, uh, John Donowski and Seth Tierney and that whole group played for them for a gold medal. And then in 2019, I got to meet uh, Matt St. Laurent. Yeah. We love Matt. Yeah. These relationships are going to you know change my life. I'm friends with these people for the rest of my life. That's what's so cool about our sport. Talk to me a little bit. How, when you found out that you're going to be inducted into the hall of fame, what's that, uh, what's that feel like? Um, it's just kind of a flood of emotion because it sends you right back home. Uh, especially because I'm being inducted with Drew Adams. So Drew and I, have played together at every level of lacrosse. We played, uh, we were on the same high school team, same college team, same pro team, and we played on Team USA together. So the fact that I got to be inducted the same year as him um, is special to me. And when I look at the names that are involved, when I looked at the people who voted on it, there's those are legends that you just know about in Pennsylvania lacrosse. And the fact that people that I've looked up to and I followed in their footsteps, um, are the ones who are voting on it is, is about as big an honor as you can get. So at no point in my entire life, like I never dreamed that I would be going into the Pennsylvania hall of fame. And, uh, you know, it's just a very big honor. And with that comes some responsibility of, you know, making sure that you leave this game better for the people that are coming after you. And hopefully one day I'll get a chance to vote them in, you know? Well, it's definitely deserved man for sure. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, you just, you mentioned again, us lacrosse, you know, you've played obviously at every level, high level college, MLL, PLL. What was it like to win a championship with that USA across your chest? We had this conversation with John Galloway a couple of weeks ago. And I think it's important to talk about how just the difference when you're representing the USA. Yeah, there, there takes, there's a lot of responsibility on that. And I think, you know, it, especially, you know, with the way the world is the last few years, I think for people, um, you know, people are kind of realizing what what the those three letters mean to them. And, you know, for me, I've always looked at it as I'm representing what I believe USA. When people think of someone from the USA, I need to represent what I believe that should look like. And when, you know, whether you're playing in a game where you know, whether you're playing a lacrosse game and guys are talking smack or you're on the sideline, or you're interacting with children and signing their autographs afterwards, um, try to embody what you believe our country can be, right? And, um, you know, always try to be better, always try to be the best version of yourself, because you're representing what we what we should be standing for. So, you know, that there's that part of it. But also, I think the human aspect and the tight niche group that we became, thank you to Coach Danowski's 
uh, staff. They did an incredible job. I believe we spent way more time getting to know each other than we did on X's and O's. And I think that's why that particular team was built to win. And I believe that if we played, you know, in a gold medal game a hundred times, we would win 99 of them. Uh, we were just built for it. And even when we were down late and the game was going, you know, uh, there was ebb and flow, like none of us got down on each other. We were all just kind of very confident and quiet. Just like, we're going to pull this thing out. Like we're going to win this. We're, we're built for this. Um, so it was a very cool situation, especially because the core of that team lost in 2014 together in, uh, in, in Denver. So, you know, for me, it was a massive relief because I've, I have felt guilty for four years that we didn't pull that game off. Um, but also because of the relationships, you know, Paul and Kyle and all those guys that I played with in 2014 that I played with for the lizards for years. Um, you know, guys like John who were on the reserve roster, who didn't get a chance and had to watch in 2014 when we lost. And then, um, you know, and then the, the other things like Trevor, Trevor was the other faceoff guy. I'm 12 to 13 years older than Trevor. I've coached Trevor. I've known Trevor for years. Now we coach together on faceoff Academy winning it with him was just such a cool, memorable experience. So there was a lot to go into that. And it was uh, one of the greatest experiences of my life for sure. Yeah. I still say to this day, that finals game with us and Canada is probably one of the best lacrosse games I've ever watched. Oh, I mean, so it awesome. was oh so much fun to watch. Hey, getting a little bit back to the technical thing here, you know, of this face off, there's been a lot of stuff lately with changing the face off rules, going to standing grip, can you kind of touch base a little bit on how you feel about those rules or where you think they're going? Um, maybe even some suggestions. Cause I know there was a lot of talk where they didn't really talk to, you know, the face-off guys out there before changing everything. Yeah. So with the face-off stuff, I think, you know, it, it's, it's frustrating uh, because the human element of the rules committee drives me nuts. And I think when we're going to sit here and pretend that it's a completely objective room filled with people that only want the game to be better, we're, we're lying to ourselves, right? Like, yes. Do they mean well? I'm sure they do. Do they want their own particular experience as a coach or an administrator to be better by tweaking the rules? Of course. And I think that's the problem is if that wasn't the case, some of you, Greg, you're, you're going, you're stepping you know, over the line saying this, really? Then why do some people vote for face-offs one year? And then when they get a particular recruit or don't get a recruit, they suddenly vote against face-offs the next year. If, if that didn't happen, then I would shut my mouth, but that's not the case. And I think what it frustrates people, like I am not one of those guys and everybody can take a look at my timeline on social media. I am not one of those guys who just pounds his chest and says, don't touch face-offs. Because I do believe that they can be tweaked and I do believe they can be better. You know, I made a career out of keeping the ball in the back of my stick in the pros. I was one of the biggest, I was one of the biggest voices in saying we got to get rid of this because I thought it was bad for the game. Right. And I think there are aspects of this. One, you have a room full of people who've never taken a face-off, and they don't trust to ask face-off guys because they believe that you know, we're either cheaters still, or we're going to give them an answer that helps ourselves. And that's a shame. Uh, and then you do have people who do want to listen and they do understand the value of the face-off, uh, but they don't have the power to do anything about it. So, you know, for me, I was really bummed out because we spent a year with the PLL creating the face-off rules for the PLL and they were faster. They got rid of everything that people complain about. And if you look at 2019, that first year with those rules, the first, the top six guys in the league. Now there's only, there was only six teams. The top six face-off guys in the league were all within about 8% of each other. So, you know, I was like, if you're worried about competitive balance, it solves it. If you're worried about making it a three on three, we solved it. If you're worried about it being a faster face-off, we solved it. We've solved everything. So I really believed being the idiot I was that this was going to be the blueprint and the NCAA was going to take a look at it. And they literally didn't even glance at it. So I was bummed about that. And then I was a proponent even of the stand-up rule. I said, if you want to go full stand-up, it's going to be a faster face-off. It's going to be quicker and it's going to be less injuries. However, it's not going to do the solve that a lot of you guys secretly hope it does, which is make everybody 50%. There are going to be guys who are better at this than others, just like everybody isn't Rob Pinnell and just like everybody isn't 
you know, the best goalie in the country. There's got to be a better person at something. That's why you're getting guys who are in the eighties this year. So, you know, the, uh, you know, there are people on that committee that changed the rules because they thought it was going to help them. And I know for a fact, there's at least one or two teams out there that had a guy that stood on his head and said, no face-offs on a knee anymore. And their teams are like in the twenties face-off percentage wise. So it did not work out the way they thought it was going to. Um, so I think, you know, for me, the problem is never the rule change. I'm always like, okay, the rule changes. If you want to change the rule, that's fine. But give me a better answer because there's things that people say in public and there's things that people say in private. I know in private, it's said that they don't like the fact there's face-off coaches like myself, that they don't understand the position and they hate the fact they have to call someone like myself. I know that's been said and that's a bummer. Man, that's crazy. That, it's, like, I mean, it's not like I'm running around the country charging colleges $7 million. No, We right, go to colleges right. for free. Right, right. I'm on my phone with college coaches every week on Zoom, giving them free advice, helping them whatever I can. So uh, it's not like I'm making an industry on top of this. But I think what frustrates the kids is here's the reality of it. And, and anybody can argue, but they'll be wrong. It's not the problem. The kids aren't the problem. The training isn't the problem. And to be honest, even the rules aren't the problem. The problem is that we change it so frequently, the officials can't catch up. So if I watched a, if I watch a lacrosse game right now in Division One, I will see four different officials coach a uh, referee to face off four different ways. There's a memo going out every two weeks about how they want to tweak the way they're calling it. The rule book changes every two years. The kids are adapting. We're adapting. The officials can't keep up. So. Until somebody walks in the room like an adult and says, all right, let's bring in a couple of face-off guys. Let's bring in the officials and let's have an actual discussion about how to make this permanent, a permanent fix. It's going to continue to be like this because every two years, you're going to have a couple of guys on that committee that are like, man, we're not good at face-offs. I need to tweak this. And that's the bummer of it. That's what frustrates me the most. You know, to me, I, I, I've seen a lot of people talk about that same situation where, you know, it seems to be team, you know, people on the committee whose teams don't necessarily have a great face-off specialist. And it's kind of one of those things like one of those, like I tell my guys, you know, we either get bitter or we get better. And it's a shame that, you know, they're affecting everyone from the college level all the way down to the youth level because of this. Cause you know, we had a referee on who, has been around here for a long time, and he seems to think the standing grip is coming to high school around here um, next year, and that's going to be the yep. rule. You know, and I remember yep. over the summer, you know, watching my 2021 guys on high school and club teams who have been doing knee down literally their entire life. And then now to get recruited, they got to change it up. And so, yeah, it's – yeah, I I can definitely feel your stress, frustration there and – I know you had mentioned before about maybe moving the wing lines in. I think, I think there might be something there as well. Yeah, when you look at the PLL rule change, and here's the other frustrating thing is, and this is where I, I'm, you know, I'm very open about this stuff. That's why some people don't like me. But the PLL rules, we spent a year getting them right, and that first summer they were phenomenal. And the wings are in a yard closer, and the PLL the PLL field is actually ten yards shorter. Ten yards are taken out of the middle of the field. So a guy who clamps, rotates, and then pops it to himself is not going to be successful because it's too easy. The, the, the wings are there too quick. So it incentivizes you to use your wings and to pop the ball out to space and get it out quickly. Um, but then in 2020, if you go back and watch the PLL tournament, the faceoffs were an absolute mess. The referees were all doing like this hand trap, like as they're putting their hands down, as they're saying set and blowing a whistle at the same time, and I was working, I was doing the strike podcast. So I had to watch every face-off of the entire tournament. Over 70% of the face-off, someone went early without being called. Over 70% over the entire tournament. So, like I said, the rules were fine in 2019. And then in 2020, suddenly it's a complete mess because, you know, for whatever reason, officials want to be stubborn or whatever. So I think the problem is actually Coach Caputo at Duke has a great idea. He he believes that there should be one dedicated official. That, fate, that has faced off, has experience, and is just officiating the face off. Yeah, I mean, that's a phenomenal idea. The problem is, is are you going to, who, who's going to convince the NCAA to hire an extra official? <laughs> um, but I think, I think that's the way to go because you have to have experience in this. A lot of refs, a lot of people are saying, I'm doing this because I think this. 
well, yeah, man, I want to go skydiving, but I got to learn how to do it first, you know? So, um, you know, it's, I don't know. There's a lot of cooks in the kitchen and there's only, and I feel like the waiter outside is the only guy who knows how to make a dish, you know? Well, yeah. You're, yeah. You're spot on there. Spot on. Well, look, Greg, you, you've answered all our questions. It's been a great conversation. Greg, you're officially in the box, man. 30 seconds to a minute. Anything you want to promote, talk about, the mic is yours, Sore. Uh, it's awesome. Thanks a lot. Um, yeah, so faceoffacademy.com. You can go to the faceoffacademy.com and look up all of our trainings. We have trainings in several states every week. We also have uh, recruiting events for rising juniors, like the I-95 Cup. We have our national showcase in December. The top 250 North American faceoff guys from 7th to 12th grade compete in New Jersey. We also have our Western Showcase, which was a huge success in Vegas, which will be every May from now on. Uh, we also do online training. We have our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Greg Renland. And if you want to follow me or the Faceoff Academy on social, my social handles are GregBeast32 and at the Faceoff Academy. Boom. There it is, folks. That's how that's how the goats do it. So, Greg, really, <laughs> really, really appreciate it, man. Hey, I do have one more question for you. Man, when we bring an FOA to the Midwest, Done. Let's do it. We got one in Columbus, Ohio, uh, coach Anthony, Anthony Kelly. And we have a ton of coaches that are happy to hop on a plane and come do anything anywhere. Awesome, man. Awesome, man. Well, Greg, again, I appreciate it, man. Keep doing what you're doing. You know, I love watching your videos. I know I, I from a lot of people I know in our area, you know, I really just want to thank you for everything you do on YouTube and reaching out and training guys and trying to make the game better. So thanks again, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. Have a great day. Right, thanks, Greg. You too. What an interview by Greg Grenlian. What a show it's been. want to say thank you to Glenn Garvin. Thank you to Greg. Hey, everyone out there. Remember to go subscribe, review, rate the show. We love doing this for you guys and doing it for Southwest Ohio. Good luck to our teams heading to the middle school state tournament this weekend as well as the high school tournament up at uh, Western Reserve. Hey, when you're out there this weekend, the middle school tournament, go to our Instagram or Twitter pages and post some pictures with the hashtag check the tilt. Until next time, folks, I appreciate you guys. See ya.